0: With the 14th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select.
1: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA as we are now into the month of April. It's draft month. The draft is not months away. It is just days away at this point, and we are very excited about it. I am Alex Smith alongside Fran Duffy, and uh, no CMac today. No Chris McPherson. He's away at an NFL conference, and uh, he trusted us, Fran to hold
2: down the show without him. Not he, sure if that's the best idea. It's probably not the best idea, but it's the first time you and I ha- have done a podcast together since Mobile. Uh, so right. very excited to, to get back on the horse here uh, and talk some draft.
1: Well, I'm sure that CMAC will listen to this once it's posted and uh, come up with some uh, critiques for, for all of us. But uh, as long as we don't kind of burn this thing to the ground today, I think that will be in good shape. But we do have a tremendous podcast here for you today. We'll get into Draft Buzz, which is just filled with, with mock drafts, because it seems like in the last two, three, or four days, everyone's been posting the latest version of their mock draft. Then after that, we'll get into pick six, and we have a really interesting topic here today. Six players or teams that, can, could, that could control the draft. Meaning it, you know, could sway the draft one way or another, depending what this team does or what this pl- or where this player goes. Then, Mr. Relevant, we are very pleased to be joined by Todd McShay, ESPN NFL Draft analyst, who just came out with one of those new mock drafts that we will touch on. So we'll have Todd on to get his thoughts on. Uh, on who the eagles took and why they went in that spot our unofficial visit fran caught up with isaac asiata the guard from the university of utah uh, back at the senior bowl and then we'll get into our draft mailbag so fran we got a full show today let's get right to it let's go all right let's get things started with draft buzz now it's time for draft buzz And the first item on our list here for Draft Buzz, the Eagles. And Howie Roseman, you know how he likes to go out and make those player trades, does them more than perhaps any other uh, GM or front office personnel in the NFL. Just this week, in fact, yesterday, as from, uh, from when we're recording this, the Eagles go out and trade for Timmy Jernigan, a defensive tackle from the Baltimore Ravens. In order to get Jernigan, the Eagles move back 25 spots in the third round, but they do still end up with a third-round pick. Fran, I know I was talking to you about Timmy Jernigan a little bit earlier before we started recording the podcast. You went back and you looked at your notes of him coming out of Florida State in 2014. So what do you think Jernigan brings to the defense, and how will it affect what the Eagles do in the draft this year?
2: Well, I think when you look at Timmy Jernigan, the big thing you see with him is that he's really stout. He's a good run defender, really violent with his hands, and he does have the ability to get after the quarterback. I mean, his production so far with the Baltimore Ravens in the NFL has been pretty good as for a guy that is projected as a, a really stout one technique in a, in a 4-3 scheme, which is what he will play here. Played a little bit more in a 3-4. I was surprised when he got drafted by the Baltimore Ravens because I didn't see him necessarily as that kind of a 3-4 defensive end. I saw him more as that run-stuffing nose tackle in a 4-3 scheme, and, and that's why I'm really excited about the the fit that he will have here in Jim Schwartz's scheme in Philadelphia. It's a, it's a, and look, it, it's no small thing to move down 25 slots in the third round. You sure. did have to, to give up something to get Timmy Jernigan. He is in a contract year, but now the Eagles own his rights. They have the ability to negotiate with him if things go well this year. Uh, and you've got a player that can come in and step in right away and fulfill the hole left by, by Benny Logan in free agency. And that's a big thing. You can go into this draft now and not say, man, we need to find someone to replace a starter in our defense. Now you've got that player in hand.
1: And look, the the fans here love Benny Logan, and rightfully so. He was great off the field. He was great on the field as well, former third-round pick in 2013. Uh, he He was very productive here. He worked very well alongside Fletcher Cox. But Jernigan's been a little bit even more productive in the past few seasons as well. So when you compare those two, Fran, as players, Benny Logan and Jernigan, what does Jernigan do perhaps better than Benny Logan?
2: I would say that they're comparable in a lot of ways, and, and I haven't done the full study yet on Jernigan with the Baltimore Ravens, so it's tough for me to, to really tell you exactly where the pluses and minuses are. I did see them pretty similarly coming out of college. I saw Benny uh, as more of a one technique in a 4-3 scheme, uh, and I saw uh, Jernigan the same way. So I saw them very similarly. They got drafted in a very similar spot. So uh, very comparable players from that respect.
1: All right, moving along here, let's get into the mock draft portion of Draft Buzz. Our first one we're gonna look at comes from Josh Norris of Roto World, who in the first round with the Eagles at number fourteen, Fran, this is starting to become a popular pick. Gary and Conley. Uh you I know you really like him, but he's a guy it seems like he's been rising up the draft boards lately.
2: You know what it is, is I watched Conley for the first time after the senior bowl, and I watched him and Lattimore together, and I only watched two games because I had to plug through as many of those underclassmen as I could before the combine, and I watched two games, and I liked Conley, and I didn't love him, but I saw, I saw a guy who was really instinctive, he's tough, uh, he's not afraid to, to stick his nose in the, in the run game, uh, good ball skills, I mean, you, you like everything you see, but you wanted to see a little bit more. I didn't see a top-end athlete, and then you watch more, and you watch more, and you watch more, and I've had a chance to do so over the last few weeks. And this kid just makes instinctive play after instinctive play after instinctive play, really, really good mental processing, the ability to make plays both in man and zone coverage. He tested very well at the combine, and that does help. But for me, the big thing that I always take away from watching those corners is uh, what is their eye discipline like? Does he have the ability to make plays down the field on the football? And Conley can do that. He's a bigger kid with instincts and with ball skills. Those kind of guys don't last long on draft day. He's a really, really intriguing prospect. I'm a a big fan of his. I would consider myself a big fan.
1: I just think it's really interesting how you know this time of year, it's almost like an echo chamber where somebody will say, "Oh, you know, I went back and watched Gary and Conley, and and, you know, after watching the tape, he's starting to rise on my boards." And then other people see that they'll go back and watch the tape and they'll see some of those same same things as well. But it just seems like Gary and Conley continues to rise up the boards. And he continues to be a popular pick for the Eagles as we look at Chad Reuter from NFL.com, his latest mock draft. He also has Gary and Conley going to the Eagles in round one. But Reuter also goes on through five rounds here, Fran. So we don't have to necessarily get into every guy on this list here for the Eagles. But which of these names stand out for you in the first five rounds? Gary and Conley in the first. Then Alvin Kamara, the running back from Tennessee. Josh Malone, round three. Elijah Qualls in the fourth, and Hunter Demick in the fourth as well, and then Dan Skipper, an offensive lineman, in the fifth. What really stands out to you there, friend?
2: Well, certainly Kamara, you know, because he presents that uh, impact in the passing game that we know that Doug Peterson likes, and you like that ability, that versatility out of the backfield. Kamara can do that. He did that at Tennessee. You saw the ability to line up in the slot and run routes like a wide receiver. So you you have that versatility there. I think Josh Malone is a really intriguing player that not a lot of people know a ton about. But Malone is a bigger kid who who ran pretty well at the combine. He ran four four one at six three, two hundred eight pounds. I mean, he's got the ability to attack downfield. Uh, what I like about him too is that for a bigger kid, he's not just fast, but he's also pretty quick. He's pretty quick in and out of breaks. Does need to get a little bit better as a route runner. There were some drops there, so third round might be a little bit high. But he is an intriguing player if you're just betting on physical tools and upside. You know, at six three to run a four four one. I mean, that's pretty impressive.
1: Next mock draft we're going to look at here. This is one of my favorite ones that I've seen, and it comes from our great friend Tony Pauline from draftanalyst.com who went with a three-round mock, giving the Eagles Christian McCaffrey, round one, Carl Lawson from Auburn, edge rusher, round two, and Fran, I know you're really high on Cordrea Tankersley, the cornerback in round three. As far as a three-round mock goes, it's pretty good in my book.
2: That's a that's a pretty strong three-round mock. I, I think if the Eagles were to walk away with a threesome that looked like that, you uh, you feel pretty good about where the Eagles stand now. Tankersley is interesting because to me, I, I've said this to you numerous, numerous times. I think you see a player that, to me, should be getting more first-round buzz. He's got all the physical tools you want. Over the last two years, he has given up his share of big plays, and that is something you worry about a little bit. Uh, You know, it's not—it's not any one issue. You know, you look at a guy like Marlon Humphrey; he consistently struggles finding the football downfield. With Tankersley, it might be. You know, maybe missing a jam and that gives up, a, then gives up a thirty-yard catch, and then he might have his eyes in the wrong place and he gives up a twenty-two-yard catch, and then he might, uh, you know, just lose the ball downfield and he gives up a twenty-two-yard catch. Tankersley, is just a, a kind of you want to see overall consistency across the board, and that's why I kind of think he's sliding under the radar a little bit. But big kid that can run, he does have ball skills. He's got quickness. He's tough. Uh, he was a captain this year as a senior. I mean, he brings a lot of traits to the table that you'd like to see.
1: Next up, Mel Kuyper Jr. from ESPN. Now, ESPN did an interesting mock draft here where instead of having Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay each put out uh, s- new editions of their separate mock drafts, they did one together where they went through the list, and this was uh, just released here uh, in the past day or so. So Mel Kuyper... He apparently he thinks the Eagles are big Ohio State fans because he has Gary and Conley once again going to the Eagles in the first round. And, friend, the interesting name here is Curtis Samuel in the second. um, I think second round is where Samuel will end up. But, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast before. It's what is he? And in this Eagles offense, where would he fit? Is he an every down kind of running back? Is he a complementary back? Is he a slot receiver? He's really an offensive weapon, but where would he fit in? I think that's the interesting question here for the Eagles.
2: Yeah, and I think when you look at what he can bring to the table, and and talking about Curtis Samuel, you have that player who's lined up in the backfield. You have a guy who's lined up in the slot. He's a better route runner, I think, than people give him credit for, and that was one one of the things that really surprised me most when I went back and watched him was – you know what, this guy does have the ability to sink his hips in and out of breaks and, and hide his intentions. He's not necessarily a, a player that's completely raw at the position. Um, I saw in the in the first couple games that I watched of him, I saw a couple drops in those two games. But I'll tell you what, I must have just picked the wrong two because when I went back and watched more, I didn't see many more drops. I mean, he's got, he's got pretty reliable hands, and obviously you've got the game-breaking ability. I would imagine that if he were to get drafted by the Eagles, that he would be used very much in the way that – Doug Peterson used DeAnthony Thomas in his last year as offense coordinator in Kansas City and kind of how Tyreek Hill was used in that offense this past year with the Chiefs. I, I think he could be that kind of slash player, line up all over the formation and do a lot of different things for an offense.
1: Does he have the same kind of quickness as those two other players that you mentioned?
2: Definitely. I, I mean, he ran, I want to say he ran four-three-one at the Combine this year. Uh, so you have that explosiveness, but also the quickness in and out of cuts. And, and he's got that ability to shake play- people as a route runner and also make people miss as a ball carrier. He doesn't have great vision between the tackles. And that's why I think some people aren't going to look at him as a full-time running back. But I think he's got playmaking ability for days. Our next mock draft here comes from Todd McShay. And we're not
1: going to go too deep into this one because we will have Todd on later in the program to discuss it. But Fran, just your initial thoughts. Christian McCaffrey in round one. Jordan Lewis, cornerback in round two.
2: Yeah, Lewis is an interesting name. Obviously, if he were an inch or so taller, we'd be hearing more about him in day two of this draft. Uh, He did have the off-field thing come up in the last few weeks, and we'll see how that impacts him. But a very talented player, good ball skills, really tough, uh, projects better in the slot. And I'm a big fan of Christian McCaffrey. I think we've we've kind of established that. I know you are too. Mm -hmm. So uh, we both like him as well.
1: And again, Todd will tell us exactly why. He chose those two players for the Eagles later in this podcast. Last
2: mock draft we'll look at for today. This one
1: comes from Pro Football Focus, who did a three-round mock. Very interesting. Some very interesting names here, Fran. Solomon Thomas in the first round for the Eagles. I have a hard time believing that he would fall to number 14. But then Adoree Jackson in the second round, I think I would love him in the second. Then Antonio Garcia in round three, but a little bit of a disclaimer that this was at pick 74, not 99, which is where the Eagles are now after the Jernigan trade. But, Fran, what do you make of those three names? Well,
2: I love all three players in terms of where the, the value is. I mean, Solomon Thomas, I agree. I would be very, very surprised if he went – Uh, In the top, and you know, if he were to fall down to number 14, I see Solomon Thomas as an interior player. I don't know that he would be a defensive end, even in the the Eagles 4 3 scheme. I do think that he's an inside guy, Um, so I that would be very interesting. I but I love the player, and you know, obviously doesn't have the ideal body type for an interior defensive lineman, but. Uh, his skill set to me looks like an interior guy. Adore Jackson is a really talented corner. A lot of natural raw tools that you like to see at the position. Uh, and then Garcia is a guy in the third round. You can sign up for a guy who can be that, who is that athletic, that long, has the ability to to protect the corner as a, a future left tackle. I mean, that's you, you you sign up for that in the third round.
1: All right, our last uh, bit of draft buzz here. Uh, Non-mock draft, but a note from LSU's Pro Day. Leonard Fournette weighs in at 228 pounds at his Pro Day, down 12 pounds from where he was at the Combine. Of course, Fran, a lot of questions about his weight when he did show up to Indianapolis. Now that he's down to a sleek 228, and he can run that 4-5, does this change any way that you view what his draft stock is right now.
2: No, because I think that we kind of knew that he was able to shed some of those pounds. And he said at the combine that that 240 was a little bit of water weight as well. So uh, not really worried about it. I I would imagine that if he did run again, that he'd probably run uh, probably in the 4.3s, low 4.4s at that weight. So that would be impressive. But at this point, and we're recording this, it's now a little before 1 o'clock on Wednesday. So they're still in the middle of that pro day. All reports are saying he's not going to run anything again, but just did check in 12 pounds lighter.
1: All right, that will wrap things up for Draft Buzz. Let's move right ahead into Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. Yes, indeed, it is time for Pick 6. And our topic today, six players or teams that could control the draft this year. Fran, I'll let you start.
2: So really what we were kind of thinking with this is who are some of the linchpins in this draft, people that really could affect the way the draft unfolds? Because there's always a couple of those spots, whether they're players and where they go off the board or teams in the terms of the first round and where they decide to go, kind of wild card teams. And to me, we know that this is an extremely deep cornerback draft, right? And, and so it comes down to, okay, when is that run going to happen? Because we know that there's a ton of talent. And I, I view this the same way. It's a running back position is the run going to happen early in the first round? Is it going to happen late first round? Is it going to happen second round? It's, it's Somewhere along the line, we're going to see you know three or four corners go in five or six picks. It's going to happen. So if Marshawn Lattimore, and that's going to be my first pick for a player that can control the draft, I think most people view him as the number one corner. I don't necessarily lean that way, but I think most people view him as the number one corner in this draft. And if Marshawn Lattimore goes as early as number two or three, that, I think that now you're talking about that run happening much sooner. But if he falls to number 11 and goes to the New Orleans Saints, or if he goes to number 12, even number 13 to the Arizona Cardinals, now a lot of those corners are still on the board, not only when the Eagles pick, when some of these other teams pick, and you might see that run happen a little bit later. I'll be very interested to see when Marshawn Lattimore goes off the board.
1: Yeah, and for me, the first team that I'm going to look at here is the Cleveland Browns, just because of the assets that they have in the first round. Obviously, they have the number one pick. And all signs point to them taking Miles Garrett. Uh, I think that's the consensus right now, obviously. But you never know what can happen between now uh, and the end of the month when the draft starts here in Philadelphia. So they have that first pick. Then they have the 12th pick. And if you look at the Browns roster, you know they have so many holes. You can look at every single position and say they could use an upgrade there. They could use an upgrade here. So at every, di- it seems like every mock draft that I'm looking at at that number twelve pick has a different pl- Different player, whether it's a running back like a Dalvin Cook or an OJ Howard uh, or, or a cornerback or whoever it may be. Um, the Browns just have so many options there. They have so many picks in this draft, not just on day one, but throughout the entire weekend. So I think that they're a team, whatever they decide to do, specifically with that 12th pick, but again, you never know what could happen with pick number one. Um, but having two picks inside the top 12, I think they can go a lot of different ways, uh, and that could really shake things up in the first round.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to go with a team that is in a very similar spot, and that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. They don't have as many dire needs as the Cleveland Browns, but they're at a spot at number four, and this is why I think it's really interesting to see where they go because – all signs, if you look at the way that they attacked free agency and they attacked some positions that were seen as pretty big needs for them, they went after uh, the safety spot, they went after the cornerback spot, they went after the offensive line. Uh, they, you know, They made a lot of deals that you kind of say, all right, well, wh- where are they going to go in this draft? It doesn't necessarily make sense for them to draft an offensive lineman that high. You look at Tom Coughlin and the way that he has always tried to build his football team, and he's the one who's really kind of calling the shots down there for the Jaguars at this point. Where are they going to go? Could they potentially even blow it all up and go with a quarterback this high? I mean, and any anything would would not really surprise me at this point with Jacksonville, and that's why I kind of view them as really the one of the big turning points of this draft. Is are they going to stay put? And if they do stay put, is this where we're going to see Leonard Fournette go off the board? Is this where we could see Marshawn Lattimore go off the board to pair, you know, with uh, AJ Bouye and Jalen Ramsey, who they just spent a first round pick on? I mean, this, there's so many different ways that this team could go. They just spent a top-five pick on a pass rusher recently, and Dante Fowler. I mean, there's lots of different ways. Where will they ultimately go? That's why Jacksonville, to me, is very, very interesting at this point with number-four pick.
1: Yeah, and, Fran, it's funny because my next team here on my list is the San Francisco 49ers at pick two. But really when I'm thinking about this, if you look at the top four teams, Browns, 49ers, Bears, Jags, they could all go a number of different ways, and, and you know, depending on who they pick, it could really change things up. But the 49ers at pick number two, Like I said earlier, it looks like Miles Garrett is off the board first, but they have so many options and so many different ways they could go with that second pick. Do they surprise people and go with the quarterback? Do they take a Deshaun Watson or a Mitchell Trubisky number two? Do they go cornerback? Uh, and take someone like Marshawn Lattimore? Do they look at safety? Could they go defensive line with a Solomon Thomas or a Jonathan Allen? There are so many different ways, very similar to, like I said, about the Browns. They have so many holes on that roster uh, that they could go a number of different ways. So, really, I think all those teams in the top four, you mentioned the Jags, Fran. um, But depending on where they go... It's really going to shake things up, especially for a team like the Eagles, sitting back uh, 10 picks or so later.
2: Yeah, I think that's very, very interesting. You bring up a lot of good points there with San Francisco. And along that same those same lines with the quarterback position, I'm going to cheat here a little bit. And when we say teams or players, I'm going to go with whoever that first quarterback is. I'm very intrigued to see where they go. We obviously with the Eagles are very... Uh, hopeful that multiple quarterbacks go before the Eagles pick, bump some of those other players down to the 14th overall selection. So whether that is Deshaun Watson, whether it's Mitch Trubisky or even Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Kaiser, whoever it is that goes up high, is it going to be the number two? Is it going to be the number four? Is it going to be the number six? Is it going to be the Bears? I mean, well, there are so many different teams that could potentially draft a quarterback ahead of the Eagles. Could it be even number 13, the Arizona Cardinals, drafting right ahead of the Eagles? It'll be very, very interesting to see where that first quarterback goes off the board and how that sets the dominoes at that position moving forward.
1: Well, Fran, if you get to cheat, then I get to cheat as well. That's just, you know, fair is fair. So I'm going to kind of copy you as well. And I'm going to look at the first running back to go off the board because you talked about it with Marshawn Lattimore and the cornerbacks, in that at some point there's going to be a run on corners. So my question is when is there going to be a run on first round running backs? In my opinion, Leonard Fournette is clearly the best running back in the draft this year. So I think he's the first domino in the first round when it comes to the running back position. So my question with him is, could he go number four to the Jaguars? Could he go number eight? Could he go number 10, 11? There's all these teams. Obviously, he's been linked a lot to the Carolina Panthers at number eight. But there's so many different teams that could potentially take a chance on Leonard Fournette and draft a running back that high. Um, But that's going to be that first domino at the running back position that could potentially set things up for when a Christian McCaffrey comes off the board or when a Dalvin Cook comes off the board, even an Alan Kamara possibly slipping in to the mid to late first round. So I think that Leonard Fournette, uh, wherever wherever he ends up, is really going to shake things up for the running back position in round one. So that will wrap things up here for Pick 6. Let's move right ahead to our Mr. Relevant with ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Todd McShay. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, there are a lot of big names out there around NFL draft season, but perhaps the very best out there is our guest on the podcast right now, ESPN NFL Draft analyst Todd McShay now joins us. Todd, first of all, thank you very much for coming on with us.
3: Yeah, absolutely. How's it going, guys?
1: It's going very, very well. So, uh, of course, mock drafts all over the place at this time of the year. You just put one out here recently, uh, and in the first round for the Eagles at number 14, Christian McCaffrey is the pick. Uh, can you explain to us a little bit of about why McCaffrey makes sense for the Eagles at number 14?
3: Well, I, I think he's a, a special individual is probably the best way to put it, in addition to everyone knows the versatility, I think you can play him as honestly a slot receiver and as a running back, as he, you know, takes in the offense and adjusts to the pro game. But I really believe he can be both, and I don't say that about many guys. He also can help in the return game if you feel, feel the need for that and and good about the you know the contact and him staying healthy. But at the very least, you're getting a, a guy that can create. As a runner and as a receiver, he's a really good route runner, smooth pass catcher. and But he's the type of guy, I don't know that I've ever heard David Shaw talk about a player like he has with McCaffrey. Just the practice habits, the leadership, the professionalism every day that he brings. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that is going to make a difference for your organization, not just with what he does on the field. So with all that said... The Eagles, I know it's not the most glaring need, and maybe they go in a different direction. Certainly, cornerback is a need. At some point, you'd like to, to bring in another linebacker. I know bring in another edge, even though you bring in Chris Long is kind of the, the bridge, and Vinnie Curry was disappointing last year. But uh, I know there are other needs on the defensive side. But with McCaffrey, maybe sitting there at 14, that's about where he's going to go if he lasts past, let's say, the Saints at eleven. Uh, with Sproles turning 34 in June, to me, it just it, it kind of makes sense. I'm not, I, I certainly not sitting here saying it's going to happen. If he's on the board, there's definitely an Eagle. Uh, but I, I just think he fits what the Eagles are looking for in terms of the versatility, a playmaker on offense, a matchup piece, and the kind of individuals they're trying to bring into their organization.
2: Todd, it certainly makes sense when you look at what Doug Peterson has said in the past, what he values at the running back position. And one of the first things he always says is for the ability to make an impact in the passing game. And we know Christian McCaffrey can do just that. Later in that same mock draft, you had the Eagles selecting Jordan Lewis in the second round. If you could give us a similar kind of explanation why you like Jordan Lewis in that spot. What's the justification for that pick? And then also, was there anyone else that you kind of thought about there in round two for the Eagles?
3: Well, I'm probably, admittedly, higher on Jordan Lewis than than some other people, and he may not go that high. He may go later in the second round. Um, Philly's got the 11th pick in the second round, 43rd overall. With cornerback being a, a need, I just... Listen, he doesn't have ideal size. He's not vastly undersized, but he doesn't have ideal size, and he has adequate, solid speed, but not elite. But his tape's awesome. I mean, he... I could watch this guy play for days. The instincts, the ability to match up one on one against bigger, taller, stronger, faster guys, shadow him in coverage. He just has such a great feel for reading receivers' routes and what a receiver's about to do before he's going to do it. And very, there are very few times on on tape where I watched Lewis and, and thought that, wow, he just gave up significant separation, something he couldn't recover from there. And then he's got good ball skills, and the bonus is he's really physical. I know he's not big, but he is physical versus the run and after the catch. So I just think he's a really good player. There's a lot of good corners in this class, a lot of depth, as as deep a class of cornerbacks as we've seen in in quite a while. With You know, Marshawn Lattimore uh, from Ohio State. Sidney Jones is going to drop from Washington. He should have been the number two corner, but he had the Achilles injury. Uh, Kevin King, his teammate, is going to be a first-round pick. You've got the other Ohio State corner, Gary and Conley, who is likely going to be a, a mid-first round pick. So the list goes on and on. I could sit here and list off fifteen corners that belong in the probably the first two two and a half rounds. But I, so I think that being a position of need at some point, you're in a good spot to to find one with one of those first two picks. In terms of guys after, I mean, I, there were other corners right after. I had I think seven or eight corners go in the first round, and I had Quincy Wilson go. A few picks ahead to the Chicago Bears from Florida, Alabama cornerback Marlon Humphrey go uh, to the, 30, the 37th overall pick to the Los Angeles Rams. And so, or Tredavious White as well from LSU. So three corners that just come off the board, and that and it left Jordan Lewis at that spot. Zach Cunningham, linebacker from Vanderbilt, has kind of the athleticism and, and cover skills that, that you'd be looking for. I, I think he would be a possibility at that spot. And, um, you know, there's Jordan Willis from Kansas State as as an edge guy who could also factor in. I didn't think his tape was as good as his workout numbers, but his tape was pretty good, and his workout numbers were sensational. So uh, I'll be interested to see where a guy like Willis from Kansas State winds up coming off the board.
1: Todd, you just mentioned, you know, some players that you may be a little bit higher on than others. Uh, So going back to the first round of the draft here, who do you think could be a surprise in terms of a player kind of sneaking into the first round? And who could be a surprise in terms of maybe a high profile name falling out of the first round?
3: Hmm, Good question. I would say there's I mean, Teeth table ran in the four sixes. the Florida corner, and I thought he was the second-best corner probably on tape, second or third-best corner in this class, just based purely off of tape. So a lot of these corners, some of the best ones on in terms of watching the tape and, and what, they, what they were as a player on tape did not work out well, have size issues, have injuries, and so it's kind of a, a tug of war in terms of trusting the tape over the stopwatch and some of the measurements. And, and this is probably the most important position of all when it comes to measurements. So it'll be interesting to see. But to answer your question, some, some big names. I think Jabril Peppers is going to wind up going in the first round. But the more tape I study, the more I'm just I'm having a hard time fitting him in, in terms of a true position. I think he has to get with a creative defensive coordinator that is going to use him kind of as a nickel and, and move him around. But as a safety, two years ago, saw some tightness, and some concerns with him in deep coverage. And this year, up in the box, just not, you know, struggling to take on blocks, pile inspecting at times, different things that were – and I just don't think he's – he's not Dayon Buchanan. Dayon Buchanan was a, a killer. I mean, he was a headhunter. And he coming out of Washington State, moving to that linebacker position for Arizona, it made sense. Shaq Thompson – was a physical player, kind of a hybrid, strong safety outside backer at Washington, and at Carolina, he's the same. Jabril is more of a defensive back and a great athlete who was playing up there and and kind of found ways with his instincts and his athleticism to get around blocks and make plays, but he does not project as a linebacker in the NFL, and he only had one career interception, didn't have a pass breakup this year. So there's some interesting... Debates within war rooms, if you will, on Jabril Peppers. I had him go 31 to Atlanta Falcons. I could see him. I, I think he'll be a first-round pick. I really do. But um, but I have a second-round grade on him. Let's put it that way. In terms of the opposite side, Tyus Bowser from Houston, defensive end, outside linebacker. I, I don't know that he's going to get into the first round. But I was surprised. I just finished his tape last week and had him kind of as a mid-round prospect and, and wound up giving him a grade equivalent to an early second round. Uh, pick. And I think he's got a lot of versatility as a guy who can drop coverage, can brush the quarterback and, and some explosiveness. And another guy, well, last guy is OB Mellon-Fonwu from Connecticut. Big safety. Some teams like the Seahawks could look at him as a corner, but he, he's tall, he's long, he's fast. He had phenomenal workout numbers. I don't know what, what's with these UConn guys and their their broad jumps. But uh, Byron Jones, I know he has the all-time record over 12 feet in the the broad jump, and and this guy had pretty close to 12 feet. I think it was 11.9 or somewhere in that area, and his workout was phenomenal. So I I could see a team with Mellon Fawn who was a four-year starter, got better every year, uh, bringing him in and using him as a versatile defensive back that can match up against some of those bigger wide receivers and f tight end types, uh, but also can play some safety, and you can move him around there too.
2: Todd, the last question before before we let you go, I know you got to get out of here. the The last question I wanted to ask you was about some late round sleepers. It's one of the everyone's favorite thing to do when evaluating the draft. Anybody that you see on day three that you imagine can come in and become a, a star in the NFL?
3: Well, I, it'll be interesting. Adam Shaheen from Ashland. I didn't know much about him until probably November when buddy of mine who's a scout gave me a call and say you got this guy's pretty good you got to check him out he's an underclassman how many underclassmen wind up coming out in the NFL draft from from a school like Ashland Division two so I watched his tape he's almost 280 pounds he's six five and change and he, he to me he's a like a finesse receiver who can block because he's so big but um, but man he can he can run he's got quickness he's a pretty good route runner good ball skills. It'll be interesting. I actually want him giving him a second-round grade. I don't know that it will go quite that high, but he's certainly a small school guy that's not getting a lot of love. Derek Rivers. Um, Derek Rivers from Youngstown State. He, I, I just finished his tape. I've been doing a lot of the edge guys recently, and just like Bowser. I had a mid-round grade on him and kind of bumped him up into the, into the late second, early third-round range because he's explosive. And I think he's a really good pass rusher. And he's kind of plays with really good motor and effort and flies around the field. And he, he had a solid, good workout and there's a lot to like about Derek rivers. He's another guy that I think, you know, you get in that day two range of looking for players that maybe you don't know their name and you didn't watch them on Saturdays, but certainly um, have the tools to contribute. And then one more, I'll give you Brendan Langley. So transfer from a bigger school. I, I can't remember right now exactly where it was, but, Brendan Langley from Lamar, six foot corner, 200 pounds, ran a 4.43 at the combine. Really good movement skills and uh, physical and support. I, I think as a third, fourth round pick, if he's in that range, Brendan Langley will come in and, and probably surprise some people coming from Lamar and uh, what he can do in the NFL and what he can do early on, too.
1: He is ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Todd McShay. Todd, excellent insight as always, and thank you very much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. You
3: got it. Have a great day, guys.
1: As expected, outstanding insight from ESPN NFL Draft Analyst Todd McShay. We thank him very much for joining us here on the podcast our next segment here is our unofficial visit Fran had a chance to catch up with guard Isaac Asiata a very intriguing name to watch right around that second to third round rage. could the Eagles look to build some more depth at the interior of the offensive line here's Fran's interview with Isaac Asiata the unofficial visit
2: Here now with Utah offensive lineman Isaac Asiata. And Isaac, for those who have yet to see you play, can you give us a quick scouting report of yourself?
0: Uh, physical run game. Uh, I love pulling. I mean, power plays are my forte, and uh, great in the run game. You know, I, I love to play with physicality, bring nastiness to every game, and uh, lots of energy. So,
2: what's an underrated part of playing offensive line that fans don't really think about, but you think you really excel at?
0: Um, I think just explosive. Well, I mean, explosiveness is kind of a a thing that everybody kind of looks at, but it's explosive in, in everything that you do, you know, explosiveness explosiveness out of your stance when you when you pull, the angles you take, uh, coming off blocks, you know, coming up the, the second level, so just little things like that.
2: What's one area of your game that you'd want to improve based off the feedback you've gotten so far from scouts?
0: Um, just uh, lateral movement in my pass protection. I know that, uh, you know, to, to make it in the NFL as a, as an offensive lineman, you got to have solid pass pro, and, and that's what I've been working on. Uh, a lot in the past couple of months, and uh, continue to improve uh, coming up here to the combine a little bit.
2: So I got to ask you first, what, what's what's in the water at Utah? Because you got you got Bowles, you got Dealman, you got Tev you got yourself. Uh, what's it like coming into the draft with all of you guys all being legit prospects?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm very proud of those guys. Well, you know, it's it's because of a great program. You know, University of Utah is an amazing program, and uh, they got us ready uh, on and off the field. You know, they made us great people. Uh, uh, made us. Uh, having a great character and, uh, and developed us the right way uh, and, and we respect the process and grind it, and uh, now we're all going to do successful and, and be well off. So,
2: Who's the best player that you face faced this year that's going into the draft uh, that fans need to be aware
0: of? Uh, Eddie Vanderdose or either Eddie Vanderdose or Stevie to I think they both are outstanding D linemen, uh, very, very stout, you know, little fire hydrant guys, right? uh, very tough, um, probably the two hardest guys I've won against this year. Awesome. Well, appreciate the time, and best of luck throughout the process. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Let's dig in now to our draft mailbag as Fran put out the ask on Twitter and got a number of great responses as he does every week because we know all Eagles fans are just dying to get some kind of inside scoop on what the Eagles are going to do in this upcoming draft, specifically with it right here in our backyard in Philadelphia. So our first question here comes from at NFL Gimpy who says, Does the Eagles' faith in Vitae, an alleged weak offensive tackle class, make drafting a tackle unlikely?
2: I think – I guess first things first is that I don't necessarily think that this – tackle the tackle class isn't great, mm. but I don't think it's, like, really poor. I do think that there are some talented players. I mean, Ryan Ramchek's pretty good. Garrett Bowles is pretty good. Those ta- guys are being talked about first round. But even if you go into the into day two, I mean, Antonio Garcia we mentioned earlier. Is Cam Robinson going to go in that range? Is Taylor Moten going to go in that range? Is William Holden going to go in that range? Roderick Johnson's got a lot of ability. Dan- Deion Dawkins. I mean, there's some talented tackles in the class – now, will the faith in Vitai change that thing? I that's a good question, and I do think that Vitai uh, did show the ability to be a competent starting right tackle in the NFL uh, after he kind of settled in. We know that Washington game with his, his debut was tough, but after that, I thought he really settled in uh, and showed what he could do. And he's going to be a backup going into the year with Jason Peters and Lane Johnson here. Um, but I, I would be, I would say, I'd be a little surprised if they spent out an earlier pick on an offensive tackle, unless. He was just blown away. He was absolutely the best player on the board.
1: Yeah, I, I have a hard time believing that the Eagles would go offensive tackle in the first round, uh, probably even the second round for that matter. But just because Halapulavati Vayetai is here, and I agree that I thought he had a really solid rookie season after kind of being thrown in, into the fire early. Um but just because he's here, that I don't think that that's going to you know throw this entire tackle class out the window and the Eagles aren't even going to look there. They're always looking to build depth. They're always looking to bring in more young bodies uh, who can develop under Jeff Statlin, who's one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. So uh, I certainly think that the Eagles adding a tackle, while maybe not early in the draft, I still think it's a possibility at some point. Our next question comes from at Mason underscore 912. What are your thoughts on Gary and Conley and Tredavious White? in our defense
2: i think that both players are extremely instinctive i think they both have very good ball skills i think that they are both really competitive and i think that's one part that is getting a little bit undersold in the media is that both Tre'Davious white and gary and conley i think are being billed some by some people as poor run defenders and i i you know i definitely don't see it with Tre'Davious white i i see a little bit of that with gary and conley but I, th- I still think Conley was the most physical corner on the Ohio State roster, and he definitely showed the ability to come downhill and lay a hit on ball carriers. So I think both of them bring that edge to them um, that you like to see in this defense from the cornerback position. So I think both potentially re- fit really, really well in Jim Schwartz's scheme.
1: Our next question here comes from at Wood 10002 And his question is about Adoree Jackson, as we've mentioned him earlier, the cornerback-slash-offensive weapon uh, out of the University of Southern Cal. He says, I like his ball skills, but he doesn't seem to be high on people's boards, and he can't understand why. So, Fran... Help him understand.
2: I think that the big reason why is that, number one, it's a really deep corner class, and so you have to be able to set yourself apart. And Jackson's a great athlete. I mean, he, I mean we know he's explosive. He ran that four three nine. He uh, tested extremely well across the board. So we know that Jackson's a great athlete. But some of these other guys, and we went—I just mentioned Conley and Tre'Davious White. You could talk about uh, Cam Sutton. You could talk about Marshawn Lattimore. You talk about Kevin King and Sidney Jones and the two Florida kids and you know Awuzie from Colorado. I mean, there's a lot of talented players: Marlon Humphrey, Razul Douglas, Desmond King. You got to have the full package if you want to stand out in this class. And I think with Jackson, you have great physical tools, and you've got ball skills, and you've got athletic ability that you like. He just needs to get a little bit better and he took a big step from his sophomore year to his junior year so you're hoping that he can make that similar jump to the NFL and if he can make that jump you're going to have a really good corner uh, it's just a matter of making that jump friend I think
1: you know what you hear about Dory Jackson is that he's probably the most athletic corner in this draft but when you're balancing athleticism versus technique is cornerback one of the toughest spots to kind of you know figure out where the line is there and which, you know, just because a guy's athletic, you have to have technique to play that spot. Is corner one of the tougher spots to evaluate with that?
2: Yeah. And I think that everyone says it's a stopwatch position, that it's very much predicated on combine testing and that's going to help guys stock. And it does. But I think that ultimately when you watch players play on Sundays, the best corners aren't always the guys that ran four three eight and who ran six six two in the shuttle. I mean, that's not the telltale sign of what a good corner is. I mean, uh, you want instincts, you want ball skills, and you want toughness, the competitive aspect of it. And I think that when you've got those three traits, that's something that you can work with. And not saying that Jackson doesn't have those, but you you see a lot of those traits pop up with some of these other guys. That's why a guy like Gary and Conley to me is more impressive even than his teammate than Marshawn Lattimore because, to me, I see a more instinctive player. I see a tougher player. I see a more versatile player. Lattimore's got very good ball skills as well to go up against Conley, but those are the traits that stand out to me, and I think those are the traits that stand out to evaluators as well is you look for those kinds of traits because that's what wins. That's winning football at the cornerback position on Sundays. Toughness, uh, instincts, and ball skills, those are three traits that uh, can really serve you well in the NFL.
1: And our final question here comes from at MrMeyer17. Three prospects here for you, Fran. If you could share some insight on running back Marlon Mack, cornerback Corn Elder as a slot corner, and linebacker Duke Riley, that would be awesome.
2: <laughs> so Corn Elder is certainly really intriguing as a slot corner. Uh, Really quick, he's tough, he's got ball skills as well, so uh, really kind of flying under the radar in a really talented cornerback class. We haven't even mentioned him yet today, so shows you just kind of how under the radar he is at this point. And then you keep going, and I think you look at Marlon Mack, really explosive, has the ability to, to pull away from defenders in a short area, the thing that I worry about with Mac is making the first guy miss and then also his vision. I think too often he tries to bounce things outside or even cut, the cut runs back against the grain when he shouldn't, and that's something that you don't really want to see from the running back spot, especially if you're going to be a part-time back. you got to make the most of those carries. And then lastly, Duke Riley is a guy, Alex, you and I both saw him in person. Uh, at the senior bowl explosive he's only a one-year starter but he was a great special teamer throughout his career at LSU so he brings that value as well Uh, I don't know that he's going to be a high level starter I don't see him as the kind of guy even like a Levante David who has turned into an undersized player that's really a superstar in this league at the linebacker spot but I think Riley can find a role as a potential starter but more of a, a really high level backup that also plays special teams.
1: All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of the Journey Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Be sure to rate. Comment, subscribe, let us know what you think about the show. You can hit us up at Twitter, at FDuffy3, and at Alex underscore Let us know what you liked about the show and perhaps what you'd like to hear in future episodes. So our thanks once again to ESPN NFL Draft analyst Todd McShay and to Brian Thomas, who has been producing Behind the Glass. For Fran Duffy, I'm Alex Smith. We'll be back next week.